Welcome to episode 86 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, I'm doing a panel discussion with some of my fellow authors of the Brave Women Strong Faith book that was released yesterday, August 3rd. I'm excited to share about these women who, like me, are also military spouses along with being veterans. The last section of Brave Woman Strong Faith is all about women who are both military spouses and veterans and the challenges and struggles we faced either in the military or in our transition out of the military and into our new role as military spouses. And so I'm excited to get to share some of those women's stories here on the podcast. And if you want to hear more stories about women who are both veterans and spouses and even more stories from more amazing military spouses, check out Brave Women Strong Faith at millspellco.com and the link will be in the show notes so that you can order today. So let's get started. listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm Amanda Huffman. I'm an Air Force veteran, author of Women of the Military, and a collaborative author of Brave Women, Strong Faith. I am also a military spouse and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast as a place to share stories of military women past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Brave Women, Strong Faith. Let's do a quick introduction, starting with Danielle. Hi, my name is Danielle Whalen. I was an active duty Coast Guard member for nine years, and that's where I met my wonderful husband. And I've been a military spouse for 14 years now. We are a military transplant here in Northern Michigan, and we love it here and plan to call it home. I'm so glad to have you. And Rochelle, let's talk a little bit about you. Hi, I'm Rochelle Futch. I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran, Urah, and um, have been married to my husband. He's Army Special Forces Non-Commissioned Officer. We got married in 2010, so we are on our 10th year anniversary this year, and we are currently at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Hi guys, I'm Laura Schofield. I enlisted in the Washington State Army National Guard out of Elanazan High School. And I'm currently a Marine Corps spouse of an active duty Marine currently stationed in North Carolina, even though we're from Washington. Wow, all over. We're all over. And it's really exciting because I don't usually know that military spouses are veterans. And so it was really cool how in the Brave Women, Strong Faith, there's a whole chapter dedicated to women, I would say like us, who are both veterans and military spouses. So what inspired you to get involved in Brave Women, Strong Faith? Whoever wants to can go first. Yeah, I'll jump in. I was, Megan reached out and contacted me. Um, She and I really connected since the conference last year. And she knew that I am trying to grow as a writer, and she also knows kind of my military background and my passion for bridging the gap between mental health and spiritual wellness in the military community. And so she asked if I would do this project, and who could say no? Um, it, it was such an honor and amazing collaboration with all these wonderful 
multiple military women ranging from vets to spouses to the whole gamut. So I was asked to join on and she didn't have to twist my arm very hard. And Rochelle, why did you get involved in the Brave Women Strong Faith project? Oh, I, Danielle can tell you last year at Speak Up at the Speak Up conference was so motivating. We would sit around in the evenings after the sessions and just talk about what an amazing sort of worship circle that we had and the connection connections we were making. And Sean and Suzanne Coon were there and they were just feeding light into us. It was so beautiful. And we thought we needed to do something. And so when they offered this, this book to have our voices heard, we were there, we were ready, our arms were open and we were so grateful for that. And, and, you know, if it wasn't for Megan bringing us there and, and calling us up on the phone and, and saying, I see this in you. And I know this is what you're working on. And I was authoring a book at the time. And, and so she pulled me in and then just the, the energy and the spirit in the room and knowing how can we get our voices? And I know, I think I was pulled in more as the military spouse than as, as a veteran at the time. And I, I couldn't miss this opportunity, one, to network and connect with the other military um, spouses and, and veterans of that group. It was just so engaging and inspiring that the energy is there. And I said, yeah, I, I want to speak up. I want to share my story. And so that was such a great, great fit. Yeah, I was really bummed this year that it had to go virtual. Speak Up was a virtual conference and it was really, I think it was a great conference, but I was like mourning the loss of not getting to be there in person, especially because, Lord, we have known each other forever. (laughs) And I didn't know until I read the story after mine in the book and it was Laura's story and she's a veteran. And I was like, how? how did I not know this? Like we've known each other for a lot. Like you followed me when I first started blogging and we've been connected since then. So, so why did you decide to write that chapter and share that part of that story of your story in the book? I actually originally wrote a different chapter that doesn't mention that part of my story at all. And the more I read it and the more I went over it, I wasn't quite ready to share it. And it wasn't, it was more than a chapter of the story could tell. It needed to be more. And so Megan approached me. She goes, you should write about joining the army. I was like, uh, that doesn't count. She's like, yes, it does. You should write about it. And I was like, I don't, I don't think it counts. I don't think it counts compared to what other women deserve. But I tried. I wrote it out to see kind of what I thought and ended up thinking, okay, this is the part of my story that I'm writing. Yeah, I thought it was so moving because, like I said, I've known you for a long, like years. It's crazy how long I've known you. And I'm reading your story and I'm like, what the? (laughs) So it was really, I thought it was really cool. And I really love, I like all the chapters. I can't say I have like a favorite, but it was just really a special moment for me to realize like, oh, she's my sister. That's why I connected so well. And I really love that. Why did you decide to join the military? Long story short, I faced a lot of challenges growing up. My mom, who had mental health issues and substance abuse issues, and I was essentially raised from a single dad. And I was at a pivotal point in my life where I was trying to find more meaning and depth. And um, my dad was really encouraging me to, to go and start moving on and everything. And I wasn't ready to go to college. I felt like I didn't know myself well enough to know what I wanted to do for the rest of my life initially. And so I started thinking about the military. And then when I was doing my research, the Coast Guard really stood out in the values and the fact that it's a life-saving organization. And it felt like something that 
I could stand behind, that I could feel good about myself and service and the takeaway of being what I would ask to do for my country. Because with all the branches of the military, there's sacrifice that we're called to do in obedience. And I, I really, when I looked at the Coast Guard, I, again, the fact that it was a life-saving organization really stood out to me. And the fact that I could serve right here at home and be a part of something bigger than myself. Yeah, being part of something bigger than yourself. Such a big part of the military. So, Michelle, let's hear what you have to say. I can actually remember the moment I decided to look into the military. I was I was right out of high school. My parents had gotten divorced when I was junior year in high school, and they sort of both moved out of the house and kind of left my brother and I living in a house that my grandma owned at the time. And so we were just kind of on our own. And then the house was getting sold and we were kind of homeless. We were, you know, just, I mean, he was, he was over 18 at the time. So, you know, he was kind of in the position to take, you know, step it up, do, do what you have to do. And I still had a senior year in high school left. And so my mom was really struggling with her new life choices because my dad left. So there was time, there was a break between me and my dad and and sort of what he was doing, building his life. I didn't have anybody talking to me about, you know, this is what your grades are looking like. This is what college looks like. This is what you do. And so I sort of, I knew it was important to finish school. I was couch surfing. I was living with a, a boyfriend, some part-time, and that wasn't the best relationship, but it seemed like a, a, you know, kind of a transactional relationship. So we're both getting something from this. And I remember listening to the journey song, you know, don't stop believing. And when they talk about that small town girl getting in a train to go anywhere, I was like, that's what I need to do. I just need to get out of here. And then I was like, okay, but don't be stupid about it. Like, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You don't know anybody. This is before the internet. And so I thought, you know, I did have one teacher that stood out to me and he was, he was a Marine and he didn't really talk about the Marines as much, but he talked about his military experience sometimes. So I went, you know what, I'm going to check that out. And I went and actually talked to the Air Force recruiters first because I was like, okay, this sounds kind of fun. And the Marine recruiters kept popping their head in and was really just, you know, razzing the Air Force guys and just like, hey, you got our coffee made yet? Hey, you doing this yet? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, man, that's more my style. I'm very, you know, um, that kind of give it, take it kind of person. And so then they started kind of talking to me when I was leaving and I just went, all right, I'm in. Let's, what are we, what are we going to do? And I just needed it. I needed direction. I needed purpose. I needed something that would give me independence because I knew I was going to be okay. And I also wanted to make sure I was okay. Like, let's, let's be smart about it. Yeah. That's a really cool story. I like that you were in the Air Force recruiter's office and the Marine recruiter kept being like, hey, hey, you were like, oh, I'm going to go over there. Because they're all like lined up usually in the same little row. So that's funny. And Laura, you joined while you were in high school, right? Yeah. What was that like? It's odd to look back on it because it made sense when you I was 17, but now it's not quite so logical. I was in a advanced program with our community college. And so I was going to have my bachelor's degree before I was 20. And I wanted to do all these things, but everything requires experience. And no one wants to hire 17-year-old girls with zero experience. And so I, rem- I distinctly remember being in like our college student union and filling out the postcard you know, have a recruiter talk to you and get a free t-shirt. And so I did. And I still have no idea why, what prompted me to do that. Because I am not athletically inclined. I'm not outdoorsy in any way, but it just seemed like a good idea. And so I did. 
And I was enticed because I needed tuition assistance. I wanted to, I was like, oh, with this, I could get a master's degree. I could going. And this was in the mid 2000s. So there was also significant sign-on bonuses. And so that seemed really appealing to me. And so I did. So it wasn't really like something you were called to. It was just like it came in your lap and then that's what you did. That's kind of like my story. Like a bunch of different things happened. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I should join the military. That's a good idea. Oh, I should do this. Oh. And then I ended up where I ended up. I, yeah, I always like hearing the stories of like why people decide to join because they're always so different and they have like similar themes that touch together, but they're always just interesting stories. Did any of you write more than one chapter for the book? I only wrote one chapter at the end, but go ahead, Danielle. I was going to say, I wrote, it's kind of a funny story because I initially only wanted to write one. And the one that I originally wrote turned out to be the epilogue and then once um Megan and the editors made the decision that it was going to be the epilogue she called me back and she said so you have this this story that you're sharing and it is outwardly focused and I'm going to read it and then they're going to say well who is this Danielle person and what's her story and I was like you know Megan I feel like I'm past that point in my writing about sharing that and I don't know if this is the place or space for it and she said nope I'm going to push you as a writer you're going to have another story people need to know who you are behind your writing and um, I joked with her and I was like there's nothing new to my experience that anyone else is going to face and so in a part of my rebellion against it that's kind of how I started you know they say as oppositional children make for a fun time when we're given tasks so I really tried to to be vulnerable in it and I tried to to share I think the most important takeaway for me and that in service and, and the message behind it I remember when Megan talked to me and she was like I want you to be in this military spouse book and I was like but but I focus on like women veterans and she's like, that's why I want you to be in the book. And I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> what you're asking me. And I love how the chapters like have come together and how like how important she thought it was to share that story, because I think a lot of times not that we forget, it's like we we're not we're veterans and that's like on the back burner. But like military spouse life is like it's our life right now. So it just takes the focus and we forget about except for me because I'm still <laughs> I'm like so into the women veteran space. I feel really I'm like, I don't know how I ended up here. I wanted to talk about the transition from leaving active duty and being a military spouse. Did any of you face challenges or struggles or was it an easy switch or or anything like that? Danielle, you can go first. Oh, yeah. So I actually wrote a piece about this um, for the Mill Co. And I joke around that I say, I said that being a military spouse is like having to go to work with your love every day or your ex-love interest every day. So you see them, you're around them, but yet you really can't be involved anymore the way that you used to be. And so it was really challenging going from, and, and for me, I think that that was the military my identity was really developed and the idea of who I was as an active duty service member. And so when I got out, you know, besides after signing the date of my DD-214, my existence in the military was based around his service number. And um, that was hard for me because I transitioned out and was already senior enlisted. And so that took on a whole new role 
for me in the Coast Guard, it's such a small community that if he, as an officer in charge, you know, he's dad and I'm mom. And so the fraternization and the ability to connect with some of the junior members, you know, wasn't there for me. So I didn't get that connection, that military spouse connection that I think would have been helpful making that tra- transition. Yeah. I liked how you were talking about how it's like you're hanging out with your boyfriend, like your ex-boyfriend. I was like, that's a really good way to like think about it because it's like the military's still there and you speak the lingo and you like know all the stuff, but you're not really part of it. You're part of it, you know, you're part of it because you're a military spouse and the military spouses are important and the military couldn't live without them, but they don't seem to understand that. And so it's a hard switch. Rochelle, what were you going to say? Yeah, I um, so I didn't meet my husband until years after I was out. So my transitioning out was very independent. It was very much, wow, I have this skill set. I'm making really good money. I know exactly what to do. And yet I have zero responsibilities except myself. And so I really struggled with drinking, partying, suicidal thoughts just from trauma in the military, just a lot of things. And and so that was, I, I think, a journey that was that was well-traveled before I had a family. And so I'm grateful for that. And then when I met my husband and he was in the army, it's funny because, you know, the Marines are my brothers and my sisters. And so that's like, we get together and it's like, we grew up together. We can sit around the campfire and have this great time. And when I'm around the army, you know, I feel like I'm with my in-laws, you know, like they very much are, yeah, I'm part of the family, but I'm not the family. And so I can definitely feel the difference between um, the branches and, being an army spouse, you know, and doing events, I, you know, I feel like I need to wear the army t-shirts, but I really want to wear the Marine t-shirts and say, this is who I am. This is me. And so I still struggle with those two different identities for sure. Yeah. I felt like I got out when my son was born and I was like, I really should have got out of the military like a few years before I had kids because dealing with the change of being a mom and leaving the military and losing my identity and all those things at the same time was kind of like a train wreck. And so I didn't really realize the emotional aspect. So it's interesting how like you were able to break out the two because that's how your life happened and how much the transition of just switching out of being on active duty and then being a civilian was just as hard in the same ways as like my transition from being active duty and being a stay-at-home mom. So I'd love to hear your experience, Laura, because I'm sure your story is kind of relates to Rochelle's. A little bit, but uh, I was given a medical, a general discharge for medical reasons. And so by the time they actually got around to giving it out, I was just ready to be done. You know, I couldn't walk anymore. I couldn't run anymore. I could barely drive because I couldn't really hold my legs over the gas pedal anymore. And so I was like, okay, all right, I'm done with you guys. And so that part, I didn't really grieve for a long time. And then I married my husband about six months later, and he was a reservist. And so being a reservist in the Marine Corps and being in the National Guard are pretty similar, especially at that time. And where we drilled was very close. So I kind of just slipped into that role very easily. So yeah, it took a while for me to actually process the and grieve the fact that I lost my career. And because of the injuries, I lost future careers that I had wanted outside of the military. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes we compartmentalize our loss. I think, I don't know if that's like the military training or just maybe human nature, but like, like you said, you didn't want to write the chapter because you weren't quite ready to share, but it's it's so powerful. And Laura wrote, I did a roundup 
couple months ago about what military service meant. She said it represents failure. And so many people have reached out to me and they're like, can I talk to that Laura person? Because she's amazing and she needs to know it because it's not failure. Like, yes, things didn't go like you planned and you had to grieve. But I just, that one line was the crux of like the whole blog post. And it was really just really short. It represents failure. And it just, it showed like how much like the military has this like hope and dream built up inside and then dreams can change or life can happen and and just how much that affects you so I want to talk a little bit about your guys's time in the military and normally if it was like a normal podcast episode I get to hear more of your stories but I just want to talk about like if you could talk about one story from your time in the military and like how it either changed you or taught you a lesson or maybe it's just funny it could be anything but can you share one story from your time in the military so the one that resonates the most with me was rounding towards the end of my time with the military and was one of the most contributing reasons why I ended up leaving. And I will say I left kicking and screaming. One of my friends, shipmates, um, her daughter had really bad asthma. And um, I had my daughter, my third daughter, in November of 2010. And in January of 2011, her daughter died from an asthma attack in the hospital. Five, five years old, my son, five years old, her best of friends. And with the military being so small, or with the Coast Guard on the military, with the Coast Guard being so small, we have a lot of like duplicate or like overlaying responsibilities. And typically when something like this happens, like a command to, to serve as the point between the command and the, the family. And because I was the senior person where we were working and also because my friend, she and I were close, the command asked me to step in that position. And so it was the, the most difficult thing in my life that I've ever gone through to this point, um, having to wear both hats while trying to be there with my friend and and you mentioned and like having to compartmentalize um i think me having to go through that process kind of split me in a way that i still don't know if i'll ever recover from but had to look in the face of death somebody you absolutely love and adore um while trying professional and i i don't know it it, it was it did something inside of me it broke me and i don't think i i've ever been the same since and that's when I knew um, that was the first time I, I really considered like, OK, it's because I, I couldn't I couldn't look at service the same way after that experience. I, I felt like I was asked more than I could bear. And and sometimes when you know it's time to go, it's time to go. And so I think that that was my biggest moment. That sounds really hard. And I think sometimes the military asks like so much of people and they don't really think about <laughs> what they're asking and then my biggest reason for getting out of the air force was because i knew at the time six months after i would probably deploy and that was like something i didn't want to do i felt like if i stayed in and i wanted to serve that i had to be able to say at six months old when my son was six months old that i would be willing to go to afghanistan iraq or wherever they sent me and i just i saw the writing on the wall it was like i it's just something I can't do. I know some people do it and I admire them, but there's like some stuff the military asks that's just too hard. I think that I felt so broken from that. It was the irony of it. It wasn't like 
that they didn't have anything left to offer me, but I felt like I had nothing left to offer them. Yeah, that's really hard. Rochelle, do you have a story from your time in the Marines? Oh, yeah. Danielle, your story, it's like I can feel it in my heart. And so that's really hard to kind of to step in after that. So one of the stories that really stands out to me right now um, from my time in the military and coming coming during a time right now where, you know, the the hot topic is uh, Vanessa Guillen in the, in the media right now and the, un, I mean, just tragic, tragic story surrounding, surrounding her her service and her death. I remember I went in, I had my 19th birthday in boot camp and my first duty station was Okinawa, Japan. And so I was there at 19. And I remember I, I ended up getting a car with a coworker so we could share a car just to drive around and do, and do some things. And there was a group that was going over to one of the other bases to do a karaoke night. And I can't sing to karaoke. I mean, I couldn't save my life. If I had to sing a song, you guys would be like, let's Rochelle's not invited to this party, but I was invited as the sober driver. And so it was somebody else's car even. So I didn't have to worry about that. And so I drove and I drove this group over to this karaoke night and they all drank, sang, had a good time, made sure everybody got back to the barracks. We all lived in the same barracks and kind of went about our way. And then I'm getting notified by the the invest the Navy we use Marine Corps was using the Navy's investigative team that the one one of the women that was with us was sexually assaulted um, after that night, and so I had to be interviewed because I was you know mentioned in the story as being present for that night. And I remember going in for that interview. I can I mean I remember the outside entrance. I remember walking in, sitting down, and I remember them telling me things about her before they even asked me my questions about my story in a way that was just taken away from who she was as a human and making it so in order for me to be that good Marine or to be, you know, one of us, we must almost kind of position our thoughts in the same way. And I remember that. And I had, I had nothing of value to add to the story. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I went, I just went right to my room. And so I didn't know that. I mean, I really couldn't add value, but I remember them planting those seeds that she was probably lying. She was probably promiscuous and probably wasn't happening. And so um, the fact that that was happening and that I'm still seeing that happen today in the military really is kind of a standout lesson for me in watching that play out. It's hard. It's hard to watch that play out. Yeah, it's really hard. And I've, I've interviewed a handful of women who've been brave enough to share their sexual assault or rape story on the podcast. And that is like the part that makes me the most mad like the assault and the rape are like one thing but then the leadership's reaction to like blaming the person not giving them the support they need and like causing more damage than the person's already facing it really is frustrating and it's really it really needs to change and so I hope that with Vanessa's story there can be justice for her and for all women to see change because it is a really big deal and like someone might say oh well you know they were just saying the truth it's like no they weren't even they didn't even ask you the questions straight out they were like let me frame it for you so that you know how to answer the questions and that's really I think that shows the big problem with like the culture of the military absolutely and being uh, being a woman on the island was so we were such the minority and so if we were friends with somebody who was automatically an outcast then you're outcasted too. And so being so young and in that position where you're not quite sure, you're either, you know, you want to empower women. I wasn't even thinking about empowering women at 19. I was thinking about how am I fitting in? How am I surviving? How am I doing the things that I need to do? And so that was a big struggle. Yeah, that shows the importance of like why it's so important for the culture of the military and the leadership to change because it's 
it's rampant and it's a really big problem and it's something that we need to talk about more. And so thank you for sharing your experience. And Laura, you're the next one. Those are both hard stories, Stefan. <laughs> thing that, that the story that has stuck with me the clearest and has affected my ability to be a spouse the most happened when I was in basic training and we had a co-ed basic training. Our platoon was co-ed. We had no female drill sergeants. Um, it was males. We had to wear clothes. I, I just remember sleeping in clothes all the time because the only place we could ever be undressed was the bathroom because any drill sergeant could come into our room at any time. There were no doors. And I remember there was another recruit who was just a weirdo. I mean, just kind of really out there. He wasn't allowed to next to me. You probably should have been removed from the platoon. And I was just like, how could you be so creepy? And uh, I ended up having to leave boot camp like a couple days early to fulfill their requirements for high schoolers because I had to be home in time to start my senior year of high school. And he stopped me and was like, aren't you going to miss it here? And I was like, no, there's nothing I'm going to miss about boot camp. Sorry. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, aren't you going to miss the food? And I was like, um, no, this is pretty much the worst food I've ever had in my life. And that was such a eye-opening experience for me that there were people where this was the first time that they had had three hot meals as gross as they were. You know, that they, this mass-produced, who knows if it was chicken, chicken patties. It was the best thing that they'd ever eaten. And I was going home to my comfortable house with loving parents who made sure that I didn't just have food, but had vegetables and, you know, healthy proteins. And so that, that's something that I've really taken with me into being a Marine Corps spouse, especially the spouse of someone who outranks some people. And, you know, just the, to constantly remind people, you, you really don't know anyone's story unless you sat down and talked to them. And you really don't know what they're coming from because for me, it was a great career option. It was a great way to pay for college, but for some people, it was just an escape. Yeah, and that's one of the like positive aspects of the military is it really can change someone's life for the better. It can open doors. It can help pay for college. There are a lot of benefits. There are a lot of hardships. There are a lot of benefits. And I think that's one of the things like, I, I had a really good upbringing, but I didn't have a way to get out of the town that I was living in. And the military opened doors and changed everything about that. So thank you for sharing your stories. It's, they're really open and honest and really deep in such a short interview. So I, I'm really thankful for that. So for the last question, I always like to ask people what advice they would give to young women who are considering joining the military. It doesn't have to be positive. Some people say don't join. Some people say do. But I always just like to hear what advice you have for women because I know a lot of women who listen to the podcast are looking into joining the military. Danielle, you can go first. Sure. So the biggest thing I think that I would say, you've heard the expression, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. Know who you are. Know the reasons why you have a heart of service. Know that while we help to shape in your value, your identity, your identity is not who the uniform that you wear. Your roots go, go deeper to that, that you have a value and a contribution in serving our country. And, um, that it's okay to say no. It's okay to challenge leadership. It's okay to stand up and for the people that you love and care about. And um, it'll make it for better service. I think the culture that we, we see in the military is 
blindly answering yes, blindly serving. And um, it's okay to question, ask, and to learn from that. And to that healthy curiosity, healthy questioning um, helps to grow leadership and it'll help develop you. Yeah, I think it's important to ask questions and also make sure your timing of when you ask the questions or why are good because sometimes you need to follow orders because it's the military and but it's not it's okay to come to the leadership privately and afterwards and ask like why did this happen like what's the reasoning I hated when I was a second lieutenant and I had to tell my airmen to do something and they were like but we don't want to do that and I was like yeah I don't want to do it either and I have no idea why we're doing it but like I don't know we just have to do it and so it's okay to go back and ask the leadership in a respectful and in a respectful way of like the why and that's an important lesson learned and I think it's really hard when you first join to realize like you can go and ask why and learn you just have to do it in the right way. Absolutely. And and I just to throw on to that, too, you know, there's a difference between a lawful order and an unreasonable or an unethical order and um, know who your command chiefs are. I don't know what you call them in the other branches, but know who you're at um, because it doesn't feel right. Trust your instincts on that. that I just I, I always say trust your instincts on that. And if it doesn't feel right, yes, do it appropriately, do it respectfully. But be okay with asking hard questions. So true. All right, Rochelle, your turn. Yeah. So one of the things I always like to um, remember is that meaning and truth evolve over time. And so I can look back at my experience and, you know, and even thinking about how to bestow that down on the next generations. And I know that they're not going to get the same value because it was learned over time for me. And without that time, they're not going to learn the same things. And so as a mental health counselor now, my advice would be, if you're thinking about joining you know, take three sessions with a counselor outside of the school, outside of the military, and just get to know yourself, get to know your why, and make sure that you're on track. And then do check-ins, follow-ups to make sure that you're still continuing to do that so you don't lose sight of that. And that as you grow and as you evolve, your plan can grow and evolve with you. And so take the time to really understand because if you're like I was where you just saw there was no other option and you weren't sure and you didn't have that guidance, you know, that's what that's what counselors can help you help you do. They can ask you those questions or they, they can say, did you know of this or have you seen that? And they can give you that clarity um, while also just shining a light on the path that you're getting ready to walk to make sure that you see it clearly before you take those steps. And so that's my advice. If you're someone listening and like you don't have a lot of money and you feel like the military is like your way out, are there free resources or discounted resources for mental health that you could share with people so that they know where to go? I don't know. But if you if they contact me personally, I will I anytime day or night, I will help them find I will help them find someone. I know some for already already active duty. I know some for veterans. I know for for um, military families as well. But I imagine that there are some things in their community. And as a social worker, um, I, I I get so much joy out of helping people find those services. So they can reach out to me and they can do a Google search probably. And even their even their counselor in their schools can probably help guide them in that direction. So that would be my first stop is saying, this is what I need. And can you help me find that? That's awesome advice. And I'll have links to all of their contact information in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to anyone, but that's one of the struggles I found for women who are looking to join the military is there's like all this stuff for families and for veterans, but there's not like veterani. It's a great resource, but it's not for people joining. It's for veterans. And so it's, 
it's something that I'm working on, like filling the gap. And that's a great reminder that mental health, that's a, that's a good thing to add. So I'm going to, I'm going to add that to my list of projects to do. Amanda, can I just chime in with Rochelle? I'm also, I'm also a clinical social worker therapist and oh yeah. Yep, most communities have a community mental health. It ranges on the type of services, but they can always call their community mental health and they will provide them with the resources in their area. It's one of the things that they're funded to do. So even if they can't accept your insurance or you don't qualify for their services, they're required to maintain that list of local providers. Such a great tool. Thank you. So yeah, they, their information will be in the show notes if you need to reach out and get more information. So lastly, Laura, what advice would you give to young women who are looking to join the military? My advice would be that don't let the stereotypes keep you or force you into it. Um, I, if you know me personally, you know that I pretty much only wear skirts. And I like to have things pretty. And living in the barracks with zero color just hurt my soul. And so... I wasn't a stereotypical girl at all, and but I still did it. And, you know, memories that I have are me, like, I was terrified of throwing a grenade because I I don't play sports. I can't throw, you know. And I was standing there, and there's this giant, giant guy standing next to me, and he was the one crying, <laughs> you know. And they're like, uh, this little girl sitting next to you can do it. And so you just don't even know what you're made of until you test it. And, you know, I, I've, I'm a lifelong anxiety sufferer and I still did it. So just just to give yourself a little bit more credit than maybe you think you have. Yeah, the military definitely pushes you to do way more things than you ever thought. And I like how they're like, no, you're going to do this. You're like, but I don't want to. We didn't ask you because when I deployed, I had to go through so much training and I was like, I don't want to do this. They're like, we don't care. Get in that truck. Go on that mission. Okay, so. That's great advice. Thank you so much for taking time out of your guys' day to be on the podcast. And let's end it with one thing that you're excited about for the book and like why people should buy it. So I'm super excited for everyone to see the collaboration. So the unifying, it goes again beyond the uniform itself, but this heart of service and sacrifice that all these wonderful, extraordinary women have been brought together to share. And I really hope that it challenges our sense of community, um, that it's not military or civilian, our sisters keepers, and that we really need to start checking in with each other, whether we're veterans, whether we're military, uh, actively military spouses or family members. There is a unique challenge that these women face and we need to be vigilant to to be looking out for one another. All right, Rochelle, your turn. Yeah, I'm really excited. One, I'm excited as one of the authors in it, but I'm more excited for the readers to pick it up and in those stories to see a piece of themselves in those stories and to realize that they're not the only ones, they're not alone, and that there is a piece in there that's going to speak to them and they're going to know whatever they're going through, they can get through it or that they're going to have something, it's going to be like a blanket of comfort that's just going to warm their hearts and get them through maybe a really rough day or a rough time. So I'm really excited for them to just have that connection. All right, Laura, your turn. It's an incredible honor to be a part of the book, and I'm really excited. I was telling my husband yesterday, I haven't been anyone's battle buddy in over 10 years, so this was really fun for me. But I'm mostly excited for people to kind of 
get to know our stories and to realize that the mom across the playground maybe has way more going on than you might think. And just to kind of see troops and um, their spouses as more than a number, but as individuals with with lives that um, with hurts and, and celebrations. And so that's that's really what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm so honored to be a part of the collaboration and the cover just makes me, I just want to hold the book. I'm like so excited. Thank you so much. I've had a lot of fun talking to you guys and I can't wait for our book. It's going to be launching on August 3rd and everyone should go out and get a copy and I'll have the link to order in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. listening to this week's episode of women of the military podcast do you love all things women of the military podcast become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review it really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow are you still listening you could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book women of the military on amazon every dollar helps helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. (music) 